Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is my super fan who paid me $1 million to be on the episode today, Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? You're not wrong, my friend. I'd pay $10 million to have you on the show, John. I'd, I'd, I'd pay $5 million just to be in the same room as you, JB, even if they said you can't speak to this uh, to this man who is struggling under the unbearable weight of his own massive talent. But um, I believe it's the unbreakable weight of my massive oh, talent. And, yes, um, the unbreakable weight. I mean, that's why you pay the big bucks to hang out with John Burke. But I uh, know, mate, I am doing, I'm doing very well. Another week, another film, another set of films. But, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I've had, a, I've had a good weekend and, as always, ready to talk film with the Statesman. Are you, are you okay, mate? Are you keeping uh, Florida safe and well? I am. I'm, I am. I, I've just uh, – I can't talk about it all the way yet, but I have seen a, a big movie uh, that we're not reviewing this week, but we'll be reviewing very, very soon. Yes. Um, in fact, I actually will be talking about it in a little bit, but not very much because, again, we have uh, an episode coming up about this big movie, but um, – you know, it's it's been a busy weekend, but everything I would say to talk about, I have set, scheduled on this episode somewhere. So I think I'll hold off on uh, getting into any details. Sweet. However, on the on the the actual rising listener, if you haven't caught on, we're going to be talking about the new Nicolas Cage starring film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, right now. Spoiler free. You ready to talk about this movie, Matt? I'm ready to talk about this movie let's, in a spoiler free fashion. Let's get into who. Did all the things. So Tom Gormican, I think that's how you say it. Maybe it's Gormican. Um, I'm going to Gormican. I'm going to go for. No one tell him Gormican is all I'm saying because uh, <laughs> it's written by him and Kevin Eaton as well or Eaton. Um, stars Nicholas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, Sharon Horgan, Paco or Paco, excuse me, Paco Leon, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, and Lily Mo Sheen. Um, the synopsis from IMDb says it's an action-packed comedy. Nicholas Cage plays Nick Cage channeling the iconic characters uh, as he's caught between a super fan played by Pedro Pascal and a CIA agent, uh, Tiffany Haddish. Um, I want uh, to forget his name right now, but there's the dude with the, the, the other dude who's also a CIA agent, but he's not in it nearly as much. Why can't oh, I can't uh, I'm going to find out for you. Right. I like Baron. Holtz. I like the guy. I, yes. He's not in it much. And he's like low on the cast list because of that. But he's, he's a guy I tend to like in movies and he's in here. Uh, this movie's doing pretty well with the critics. The Rotten Tomato score is 87% right now, 67 meta score, so still pretty positive score. Uh, 7.5 INV user score and a 3.6 on Letterboxd. Um, this is out right now in theaters only, so you have to venture into the theaters to check this out. And in in the, the sad state of affairs, there's a chance that Nicolas Cage doesn't have the box office draw that it used to. Maybe you're thinking, oh, why would I go see a Nicolas Cage movie? If I wait a month, there's going to be a VOD new movie of his because he pops <laughs> them out like it's nobody's business. And you would be right. However, this is, in my opinion, Nick Cage of old, the one that we love. And even though, like the movie says, he hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, a lot of the movies that he does produce aren't always of the best quality, but I don't think I've ever seen Nicolas Cage phone it in. I always feel like he does the job. And there is something innately watchable about this guy. Going back to, to his 80s stuff, which I've not seen all of his early films, and I've not seen all of his big films. I actually really need to watch Leaving Las Vegas. I think that's his, right? Um, yeah, yep. I, that's one of the big ones that I, I saw as a kid, but I definitely haven't seen it um, as an adult. And even as a kid, I think it was like it was on and I wasn't really watching it kind of thing. Um, so I have a few big gaps to fill. But I... I have always been kind of drawn to him in the nineties. I liked a lot of his stuff and 
um, seeing this uh, reminded me why he he's magnetic. He has energy. He is doing weird stuff that I don't think anyone else could pull off, but there's something about his <laughs> sincerity to the performance that really works. Um, Pedro Pascal continues to impress. I love him in everything. And the, the chemistry between him and Nick Cage is undeniable in this movie. For me, I was all about the bromance of this film. Um, I love the meta qualities. I love the, uh, the, there is like a, a sweet kind of family dynamic about the movie that um, I, I get. And I understand it did make me um, worry that maybe I pushed my love of movies onto my daughter a little too much at times. Um, we get some, uh, if you're a film lover, like Matt and I both are, you get tons mm-hmm. of film nerd comments and jokes and references. One of which I just can't, deny how much I was happy to hear someone else claim the love of Paddington too, because <laughs> folks, if you haven't seen the Paddington movies and I understand why you might think, Oh, why would I watch those? But you're wrong. You should watch them. They are fantastic. Both of them. But I do like to, especially Hugh Grant in, in Paddington too. His, his performance is stupendous, but um, there's so much to enjoy with this film. And it's, it's a reminder of what we're missing um, from studios right now. We don't get a lot of studio comedies that are good. And this one is fantastic. Um, it, it is uh, one of the better ones we've gotten in the last couple of years. It's not the best one, but it's it's up there real high. I had I had so much fun watching this. Um, literally, I, I don't think there was a moment in the film where I was I was bored or I was disappointed. Um, even the parts that are a little cheesy or predictable, I found completely <laughs> enraptured or just enjoying having a, a real blast with this movie, which is what it's trying to do. It, this is not going to change your life by any means. It might make you reevaluate Nick Cage's career and maybe appreciate movies that you maybe brushed off as fluff or, or schlock. Um, like movies like Con Air that I loved as a kid, but at some point I can start going, well, that's not really like a good movie, but I think it is a good movie for what it is. Like it, it's doing the thing that it wants to do. Um, and uh, Michael Bay's best movie is arguably the rock, right? Like, and yeah. it's because Nick Cage's performance is so good in that movie. Um, you know, it's just, it's something, I think this movie has a lot of love for him. Um, there's a lot of cool stories kind of uh, around him and he's done like a lot of AMAs and stuff like that. Uh, uh, since the movies come out. So he's, he's been doing more interviews being a little bit more, um, open to, to talking again, which is something he'd kind of been avoiding as he got bombarded with a lot of attacks because of the movies that he does. But I, I had a, great time with this um i it has been a couple of weeks since i saw it even but it's still kind of fresh in the in the mind um because it was it was really really enjoyable but that's what i thought i'm curious matt did you feel the same did you like the unbearable weight of massive talent well i felt an unbearable weight of massive pressure to like this film because i've been saying on this show for the four or five years or so we've been doing this that i think comedy it's not a dying genre because it will never go but i'm really I've kind of bemoaned the lack of real good quality comedies that come out. You, you get you get subgenres of comedy, but you know, straight up comedy films. We don't really get any good ones anymore. And when they do, they're celebrated as these kind of uh, new pillars of the genre. When in most of the time, they're you know they're mid tier for the golden age. But I went into this film. Uh, I like Nick Cage. You know, I like most of his stuff. I like him as a person. I don't quite buy into the you know, the cage, the cage on a song. So I haven't quite got the pillows of his face on my bed or I don't quite wear t-shirts off his face, but I like Nick Cage. I think he's a very, um, alluring actor, magnetic performer. And 
In, and in this film, he's no different whatsoever. I thought this film was a blast. I had so much fun with this film. Uh, I totally agree with what you said. Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal together are are like are like cheese and a good wine. It, they're just made for each other now. You know, good cheese and good wine. You you guys can argue which one's which, but they are so very good together in this film. Um, and yeah, it's a film about Nick Cage playing a version of Nick Cage. So I think. A lot of people, me included to a, to an extent, probably went in thinking this is going to be, you know, the Nick Cage performance where we get all of the Cageisms, and we do. But the but this version of Nick Cage in the film isn't about that. I mean, he this this guy he's playing Nick Cage. He's a family man who just wants to do right by his family, pretty much. And I found that a very interesting direction to mm-hmm. take the film. Of course, we still get. Like complete Easter eggs galore. I mean, Cage fans. So you mentioned many, leaving yeah. Las Vegas. You get the iconic shot from that film is recreated in this in this film. As are other quotes. Um, and let's just say there, you know, some Nick Cage memorabilia may show up at some point during this film. I think they did a really good job of honouring kind of you know Nick Cage's legend that has become, but at the same time not going too far with it by actually having Nick Cage himself just go over the top. I think he actually was fa- fantastic in this film because he was able to rein it in. And in the moments when he had to go ham, he did it in the way we all love it. And I'd be lying if I didn't say in that theater, I had a smile on my face when, you know, he, the camera, he, he turned his head and suddenly that cage, the cage face from the nineties was back and, and the voice went down. The voice went down a few notches. I thought, this is, this is great. And like you said, those kind of cheese fests, as people might call them, Con Air, the rock face off. I love those films, man, for what you said, because they are what they are. They know what they are and they do them damn well. Great 90s action thriller films, um, entertaining. And a lot of that is due to the star of Nick Cage himself. So, uh, yeah, I think this film was good. I think the gags were, were decent. Uh, it, it wasn't over, it didn't overstate his welcome. One of the things we say on this show so much is, man, that, you know, they could have really cut some of this or they could have, it felt like it dragged. This film is about an hour and 40 minutes, maybe. And it, you know, it earns that time. It doesn't feel overlonged. And uh, like you, I never felt bored during it. I wasn't entirely sure of the director's work, so I had a quick Google, and I haven't seen. I mean, he's, I haven't really seen anything he's done. He's a writer, yeah, producer same. more than anything. But hey, this is. A, I thought this film was um, was nicely shot. I thought uh, certain big bigger sequences were done well. I think the editing was done really well as well. The editing played into to the comedy an awful lot as well. So, no, I I think this film. I'm going to steal a phrase from uh, the the show mascot and the show deity, Big Tuna, when he said this is the best studio comedy film in recent years. I think it might be. I think it is. And I'm not just saying that because we're excited how good it is, but I do think it is like a straight-up comedy that knows what it is. It's having fun. Everyone's buying into it. It it, it does its job. It does its job, and I think think it's really good. I think it deserves the positive praise it gets. And, I mean... (laughs) it's almost almost fate that we'd get a film about Nick Cage himself. You know, Nick Cage riffing on Nick Cage-isms, but the surprise is he didn't uh, he didn't play into his own... He didn't become a parody of himself, which I love. And towards the end of the film, no spoilers, but towards the end of the film, there is a cheeky reference to one of his more maligned uh, quotes, which I found hilarious, as did the entirety of my theatre, which I'm sure we'll mention in the spoiler review. But um, spoiler for this show, I thought this film was really good and an awful lot of fun, JB. 
That's, I completely agree. I, I'm so excited because uh, the trailers leading up to it had me very hyped, but I was also like super apprehensive that yeah. it, like, oh, this could be really cheesy or really silly. And then uh, as it kept getting closer and like more and more was coming out, I was like, okay, now I'm just worried I'm going to be overhyped for this. And <laughs> um, like, as even the trailers, I, I feel like they do a good job of like giving you parts of what the story is, but not really revealing how the story will unfold. Cause I, yeah, I actually I agree with that. enjoyed how the story actually unfolded versus how the trailers were selling. Cause I was really worried that they were going to cram too much silly stuff into the plot. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a bit goof- a, a goofy kind of film throughout, but which yeah, of course the movie comments on. Yeah. And the movie comments on it in the medical and it's that I love that anyways. Cause again, it's a film movie. It's a movie about film and love of film. And so yes. obviously that hits a, a, a check mark for me every time. Um, but that's, uh, that's our review spoiler free of the unbearable weight of massive talent. Matt and I both big fans of this movie and we would love to see studios, please do this. Let, let filmmakers make movies like this. It's great. And I, I I'm right now, let's start a thing, man. Pedro and Nick cage need to just be like doing like, you know, we, the we new have, lemon and Mattel get them in well, stuff but, together. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, cause when you look back, like I loved, I loved uh, Gibson and Danny Glover back with the lethal weapon series, right? Like you have those action comedies more serious, especially the weapon one, but they, they, you know, it gets silly, but uh, I think Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker were really great in the rush hour yeah. one specifically. I loved Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson in Shanghai nights. Or, I'm sorry, Shanghai noon. I actually have not seen Shanghai nights, um, but I love Shanghai noon. Uh, it was a really fun Western, even though again, maybe some of it doesn't hold up to a scrutiny of politically mm-hmm. correct times. Um, but you know, we have those action comedy duos that just really clicked, uh, even, you know, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith for bad boys. Yeah. This, while this leans a little more into the comedy and a little less into the action, I'm fine with that. But the, the chemistry I think is more in line with the lemon and math out where you could put them into different movies. They don't have to be these two guys again, but just have two guys in a bromance that just work. Yeah. And you can tell we've been watching those 1966 films as well, or from that era as well, because it yeah. becomes more apparent. Pedro Pascal, he just seems like, obviously he's been doing the press tour for the Mandalorian a lot uh, recently for the bubble and, towards the end of the year uh the last of us but he just seems like a guy that would probably just get on with everybody he meets he genuinely seems like a good guy i agree completely with that i wish he was my friend as well dude i like i feel like he is like that's how like charming he is it comes through the screen where you're just like yeah okay i guess we're buddies and you're like oh wait no he doesn't actually know who i am i forgot uh if he did he'd be your friend yeah, if he did, he would totally be like, hey, come and have a drink. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, Pedro. It's amazing that you're so chill and awesome. This is the way. Uh, it, this is the way for sure. <laughs> That's it, folks. You got to go see it. If you haven't seen it, don't sleep on this. Because, again, box office is not an indicator of quality. But Hollywood won't give movies like yeah. this money if people aren't seeing them in theaters so exactly if you like stuff like this you got to go out and support it if it's safe obviously we mean if it's safe if you can do this safely please go check this movie out because it is it's really good and it's a lot of fun um check out the unbearable weight of massive talent um at your local theater it's it's somewhere it's playing right now um with that let's head into our next topic we're going Chuffed headlines. These are movie or pop culture news that have caught our attention this week. And it has been a busy week since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been 
tons of movie news, so we could have done multiple headlines, but we're not. We're keeping it simple. Matt, what is your headline for the week? Uh, my headline is going into kind of seizing into next week or to the big review, the big movie coming out. Uh, well, yeah, this week, which is going to kickstart that blockbuster season off. Um, obviously, Sam Raimi is directing the upcoming Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but he's best known probably for the Evil Dead films. But in certain circles, he will always be known for the Spider-Man trilogy, the best Spider-Man trilogy may i add um from the early 2000s to one alongside things like x-men which were credited with you know giving the superhero genre some credibility and kickstarting what came afterwards uh, which led to nolan which led to the mcu but um this my headline though it's uh from tc phillips he wrote this uh he or she or they and it says Raimi was sony's 19th choice for toby Maguire's spider-man director uh, which is why I, I read just thinking, is this some kind of exaggeration? But maybe it wasn't. But his director, Sam Raimi, recalls that when he was asked to pitch for Spider-Man, Sony had about 18 directors that they'd rather have. And it came, he was talking, obviously, uh, about two, two variety about Doctor Strange. And of course, they're going to ask him about his uh, origins within the superhero genre. And he said, my agent, Josh Stone, and said, they want to be honest with you. This is Sony. There's about 18 directors I'd rather have you than you on a list. And I said, well, okay, tell them I'm number 19. And some of the other directors that the studio wanted at the time were Tim Burton, Michael Bay, uh, Roland Emmerich, Barry Sonnenfeld, Ang Lee, Chris Columbus, or Jan de Bon, and M. Night Shyamalan, to name a few, all were Ooh, on Sony's shortlist ahead of Sam Raimi. Now, some of those would have been interesting. Of course, the Tim Burton Spider-Man would be very interesting i don't know how it worked michael bay spider-man i mean everybody's talking about remember the nick cage superman that never was which i think was actually a tim burton directed effort as well imagine a michael bay spider-man film but michael bay in 2002 uh, uh, part of me thinks you know i kind of wish i could see that now but one thing i wouldn't want to see is a chris columbus spider-man but um yeah sam raimi is he was he wasn't really on the shortlist for that that role he gave us again uh, whatever people think about the film you john he gave us a couple of in the genre iconic films in the in that superhero genre and an iconic dance in spider-man 3 and you know i, I don't want to say it kick-started his career because you know sam raymu was he was on his way well before he had spider-man but it's but it's led to people celebrating his return in doc with dr strange sorry and uh, it, i just found it's a very interesting uh, story to take more so it's kind of that you know playing into marvel that kind of what if now what if sam raimi you know didn't get the gig and we did get an m night Shyamalan uh spider-man fresh off the sixth sense or a barry sonnenfeld spider-man you know it kind of makes me wonder what how it how the genre could have panned out i'm pretty sure superhero films could have you know kickstarted anyway but those films and the x-men gave some legitimacy to the legitimacy to the genre and sam raimi was part of that dude so um Sam Raby may not have been part of it. We could have had a totally different Spider-Man dude, and we could have had a totally different path for the genre. Any thoughts on you know where it could have been with any of those directors? I mean, a lot of them are, I would say, more concerning than like exciting. Like, can you imagine like yeah. what twist Shyamalan would have put on Spider-Man? Like, um, would we have got different villains? Probably, like maybe Mysterio that early because that feels more like a Shyamalan type of villain to me mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. or even chameleon. Um, I, I don't, 
so uh, as Matt pointed out, I am I'm not a huge fan of the Raimi Spider Man. Um, uh, especially uh, with hindsight, I, I, at the time, like I loved the first one when it came out. Um, yeah. I have never been a huge fan of the second one. And I don't know for sure. I can't remember why. I just, I don't remember being excited to like revisit that one where I, I rewatched the first one a lot when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't a kid. I was 20 when it came out or whatever. Um, 19 when it came out. Um, but um, I always, I don't know. I actually feel like I've, won't say much now, but there's, as I'm studying Raimi, I'm kind of coming to terms with why I don't vibe with his superhero take as much as I do with some other filmmakers. And, um, that, so I, I like, I'm not a person sitting here going, Oh yeah, I'm glad it was Raimi because no one else could have done it. I definitely think other people could have done it, but, um, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if those, like, like you said with Chris Columbus, I can't imagine how boring <laughs> it might've been. Um, you know, there, I do think there are obviously other filmmakers who could have done a good job. Um, I, I am a fan of the MCU Spider-Man. I love all three of the movies. I do think far from home is the weaker of them. Um, but I love homecoming and I love no way home so much. Um, even if there are like, like admittedly there's some cheap stuff to get us like hooked in nostalgia wise. And obviously the nod to the old Spider-Man is there, but um, it's not surprising that Raimi was like 19th though, because if you look at his career, he was on a downward trajectory pretty much always like evil dead, evil Mm -hmm. dead Two, army of darkness are his biggest hits and they weren't hits. They were big cult following movies. They had a big uh, home video finance but dark man didn't do well um in the box office uh quick in the dead which i adore didn't do well at all in the box office and didn't get like any kind of prestige either and then a simple plan gets some prestige but it doesn't win and it doesn't do well at the box office and then you have like these weird like middle movies the love of the game the gift and then here he comes with spider-man and he gets recognized um and after spider-man 3 he drops off again and you know um he has the the little like Raimi resurgence with drag me to hell but like you know his last movie before doctor strange and the multi- the multiverse of madness was oz the great and powerful which mm-hmm. i think most people forgot exists you know what i'm saying like so it's kind of a miracle that he got the the movie and that made him I think it made him a big name director when he's really not like he has done some good movies don't get me wrong but he is not a big name filmmaker that he gets tossed around with, especially like when you, when you, mm-hmm. if you're listening to the blank check podcast, like me, uh, you learn that Raimi lived with the Cohen brothers. Like, yeah. and while even the Coens are like, they're not big in terms of like blockbuster, right? Like people, your casual movie fan might know who they are, but their movies are generally more prestige movies. Yeah. They got a um, string of like, critically acclaimed films. Yeah, a lot of them, right? Like, I would say uh, the majority of their filmography is critically acclaimed. How many broke into the mainstream? Very few, I think, uh, collectively. Like, No Country for Old Men, True Grit, maybe Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Broke into the mainstream enough. Mm -hmm. And then uh, most of the other ones are more critical darlings. Um, Fargo, obviously, did break into the mainstream uh, enough, even though it was prestige first. It's become an FX series based based around the premise of the movie, not really on the movie itself. Um. Yeah, and you know they have some other things, but like they're they're definitely not you know they're not Chris Nolan or Steven Spielberg or Scorsese even you know, 
Um, and Ra- but Raimi's name is known by a lot of people simply because of those Spider-Man movies. So, uh, good for him that, you know, he was not like too proud to take the 19th position. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, good on I him. mean, his, his output since Spider-Man, uh, as you said, you're like, yeah, drag me to hell. Oz the great and powerful. And in terms of cinema, I mean, it's kind of really about it. Obviously he's gone on to do obviously the Ash versus evil dead and other things as well, but a lot of production. He's, he's produced yeah. tons of content. He's produced. Yeah. Exactly. Produced a lot of stuff, but you know, jumping into the, the big blockbuster game, wasn't really the may, may, hey look maybe he just wanted to make these films and be done with it maybe he didn't want to become a blockbuster director but fair may, maybe it led into more open the door for these more these passion projects or so he could produce more and he could come back every few years and do something like a drag me to hell which yeah in horror in horror circles yeah people really enjoy drag me to hell it's a, it, again that is a Raimi film it's daft um horror almost horror comedy at times um like Oz the Great and Powerful is is a film, it's fine. But um yeah, he's kind of been out of the limelight an awful lot and him getting a Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness gig was I always found it strange. I know a lot of people are very excited because of the Spider Man and the Evil Dead and all that um those links, but I did always find it a very strange choice because it did kinda of, kind of come out of left field somewhat for me. Uh the fact that he got that gig. But hey look, I'm I haven't seen the film. I'm seeing it within 24 hours of this recording. I know some people in the world, some people in the world may have seen it. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. But yeah, he's he, he's not somebody I'd put in my top 10 or top 20 of kind of pantheon of directors. But, you know, I, I don't mind his work. So hopefully no, yeah. he can bring I, it with Strange. I said all of that with no like no shade. No, of course. Because yeah. I like a lot of his movies. I don't love all of his movies. And I do think maybe he needs to be reined in sometimes. Um, I think Spider-Man <laughs> Three is a great example of that, and yeah, I think there's studio movie. all over that. I think. Um, but yeah, uh, that's uh, it's funny that you picked this headline because my headline is about <laughs> another director um, and a franchise that I used to not care for, but have grown to really appreciate. Um, if you haven't heard, listeners, uh, the family lost a member, Justin Lin. <sighs> um, last week stepped back from the Fast 10. He's no longer directing. He's taken a production role. He posted, I think, on Twitter and Instagram, or at least on Twitter, um, that with Universal, uh, he has stepped back. Um, and th- it sounds like uh, Vin Diesel is at least the center of the problem. Um, it's, it's Justin Lin has said... Uh, He's finally had enough and said, this movie is not worth my mental health. Um, There was apparently a major disagreement with Vin. Um, He's had issues with the script being rewritten. Like he came in thinking it was good. Then they're like, the studio wants to have it rewritten and blah, blah, blah. And it's crazy because Lynn is basically responsible for this franchise being what it is. Um, You know, he did not do the first two films, but he comes in with Tokyo Drift uh, changes kind of, like Tokyo Drift was almost a straight to VOD, like, or not VOD, I guess it was straight to DVD at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might've had a theatrical run, but it felt like a straight to DVD, like sequel, you know, that was a big, big trend in Hollywood for a long time was to, you, you make the first movie that does well enough that people want to see additionally, you just put them on DVD, you, you get smaller cast, smaller budget. So Lynn comes in with that kind of re, re breathes fresh air into the franchise after singleton's too fast Too furious kind of flops. Yeah comes in with Fast and Furious, and then Fast Five being the big phenomenon where he brings Dwayne Johnson in, 
changes the vibe of the movies. They're no longer just about street racers. They, they're elevating these like to spies and things Man. of that nature. And then we get six and seven, which I think Lynn does both of those, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, he does. I don't think he does eight. He doesn't do he eight. Does. Yes, I think Juan does eight. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like it's James Wan. And then I think you're right. Yeah, I believe you are. Comes back for nine. Nine doesn't do well. Uh, <laughs> but partly because of COVID. Partly because of COVID. I, I like a lot of partly nine. I actually think nine works better. Um, and then we're forgetting about uh, Hobbs, Hobbs and Shaw, which is fine. It's a sidebar movie. Um, but we've seen a lot of drama around Vin Diesel in this franchise already. Like the rock won't do it. The, he tries to throw the rock under the bus and, and recently, right? Like when they were casting for this yeah. film says like, Oh, uh, you know, puts him up, puts him on blast on Instagram and the rock very like, this is the problem. This is, this guy is, is a pain. And I mean, if anything is cementing it, Lynn, who basically has carried this franchise as the director, what w- doesn't want to direct because of the way Vin Diesel's acting. And if you've watched Vin Diesel, he does seem to like, maybe over extend what this movie franchise is like i think they're fun i think they are fun movies that if you accept them for what they are as dumb Mm -hmm. as some of the things are they are doing the thing and they do it in an engaging entertaining way but vin's taking this like it's the gospel like (laughs) he's calling it the mythology you're right and it is it's his career if you look through vin diesel's career this is all he has left. Every other franchise he's tried to start or carry has fallen through, right? Like I like Chronicles yeah. of Riddick, even though it's a little bit wild. I love uh, Pitch Black. I, uh, Riddick is not great. It's not terrible. Um, I never saw the animated thing, but that that franchise dead, not happening. Did he do Triple X? He did. Uh, he yeah. he did the first one. Second one is Ice Cube, and then the, the third one they tried to bring back didn't it didn't seem to take from what I've seen. Like no one's really talking about the triple X franchise. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously Groot, but you know, anyone, I could love be Groot. Groot. I'm sorry, but and, yeah, anyone could be Groot. Uh, and yeah, Vin Diesel's the iron giant. Cool. Again, realistically, anyone could have done that. He does have a distinctive voice, but this is it. This is his legacy. And maybe that's too much. You know, maybe he's, he's gripping it too tightly, you know? Um, and, just reading this article that is linked in the show notes, uh, it sounds like maybe that's what's happening. Um, Lynn stepping away, I think, is a big deal. And I, I am worried for X, uh, Fast X and whatever 11 is going to be called, if they're going to call it X2 or whatever. Um, not just X2, but Fast X2, yeah. or if it's going to be Fast 11, or um, I don't know. I don't have a creative pun for 11, so I'm not sure how they could possibly do that. But because um, I'm assuming Fast X is supposed to sound like fastest. You know, like it's the fastest. Um, no, I don't know, but you're probably right. Uh, yeah, or it could be fasten your seatbelts, which would have been the way to go. But you know, drop the ball. That's better. That's um, better. I I I was looking forward to this. They've added Brie Larson and Jason Momoa to the cast so far. Um, I'm expecting the way Vin was talking prior. He wanted everybody who's ever been in the movies back in some capacity. The Rock will not be. Um, but I think everyone else that's alive in the franchise or can be brought back to life in the franchise will probably be in X. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe Lynn had like, I have this story and Vin's like, it's not big enough. I don't, you know, it hasn't come out specifically what it is, just that there was a big disagreement enough that Lynn was like, this is, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And that's, I think that speaks volumes. Uh, Matt, I know you're not a fan of this franchise. 
what are you thinking about this X10 or Fast 10? Excuse me, Fast uh, X, that's what it's called. One thing Vin Diesel hasn't got to worry about is the unbearable weight of massive talent if, at Oof, all. Ouch. The guy's a schmuck, but um, and this just proves it. Hey, hey, look, I, there is a fan base for these films, which I'd never say, you know, to denigrate and say, oh, these films are rubbish, they're for idiots. Not at all. I just don't like them. But like you said, I, th- I think Vin Diesel thinks the family's real. <laughs> you know, I, mean? I generally thinks he thinks this doesn't realise, you know, the boundaries between real life and fiction to the point where, you know, this mythology that he's built is now coming at the cost of a very talented director and his mental health, which is actually the which is the main part of the story, which I think a lot of outlets seem to be overlooking. A lot of, you know, obviously, you know, Fast 10 has lost its director. Whatever I think about think about that film, it's going to be a big deal. You mentioned who they've added to the cast. Damn, the thing stacks. But at what cost? The cost, you know, Justin Lim's, you know, this this isn't work. My mental health is more important than this. So, a dude's been driven to the brink because of this. He obviously wanted to make a, a, a film his way. And Vin has come on set, as he said, doesn't really know his lines. It's a bit lazy. Um... And has, and has changed the scripts and has added things to suit him. You know that's that's no way for a director who's meant to be cool in the shots. You know, a, a good director, uh, you know, will involve their cast and crew as well. You know, sure. they, they may have the final say, but they they'll involve them. You know, certainly the crew as well. You know, how can we make the be- how can we get the best out of this shot or this frame or this composition, whatever. And and of course, you know, actors love it when the director allows them to put a spin on their character or to um or to suggest things for the scene. But Vin Diesel sounds like he's trying to be the de facto director. You know, the the, the like George Lucas on Return of the Jedi. Richard Marquand was the placeholder when George Lucas pretty much directed that damn thing. It almost seems like Vin Diesel wanted a lot more creative control to the point where he's almost directing the film. And my buddy, Bespin Bulletin, who is, he loves these films, you know, he's no, unashamedly loves these films, generally believe that Vin Diesel was trying to put himself forward for the director or for the director's job in some kind of odd tribute to what came before, maybe even Paul Walker. Um, because Vin seems to have lost his marbles a little bit. I think this is an awful story. Um, I hope whoever comes yeah. in, I know they have got a director now and I can't, for the life of me, can't remember who it is. Um, do you know who it was? what who they're thinking they they have got, i think they've got a new director on board i think oh, i'm sure i read I have not that they that. have a new one but um let's have a look, fast fast x directors i'll have a quick look at the same time but whoever comes on board um oh here we go uh louis leteria is the top choice he, i think he was the transporter director oh uh, he looks like the new so uh, hopefully he comes on and gets his creative control and gets to tell the story that as much as possible he wants but what worries me so. about this film, which is already going to be big, you know, ep- epically bloated, is that you've got Vin Diesel wants to tell his story. The director's going to come in and tell his story. The studio is going to mandate some kind of control as well. This could end up being an actual mess. You know, it, it, even jo- all jokes aside about going to space or fighting on the moon, this could actually just be a total incoherent mess because of everybody vying for power. Too many cooks in the kitchen. But um, the one thing I w- didn't want to lose sight of was was Justin Lin and, Lim and all this, who's had to take a break because of his mental health, because of a controlling and overbearing person on set. And hey, look, like you said, maybe Dwayne Johnson was right all along. You know, I, I'm all for passion. Vin Diesel's passion for this is admirable. Maybe, like you said, it's because this is all he has. I love the fact that he's so into it. But, come on, when it's coming at the cost of other people's health, mental health well-being and also possibly the well-being of a studio film which is now a 300 million dollar budget and rising 
pre-marketing costs. This is not looking good. This film would have to make in, adv- in excess of about one point two three billion to start breaking even when it when all said and done. So it's going to be an interesting ride, but um, never to lose sight of uh, Justin's issues. Uh, I'm just glad that he has taken the decision to leave what for him was probably a very exciting project. You know, maybe you know setting the stage for the finale of this admittedly massive franchise. Yeah, and I will say, too, as much as I have become a fan of sorts of the franchise, Fast 9, I think the biggest problem with it was Vin Diesel. I think he is he's stiff. He doesn't look like he can do a lot of the action anymore, yet he insists on being this unbeatable like powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's some other like cheesy story choices, but I, mm-hmm. I really think Vin is like the weakest link in that movie. Not just his acting, just like the character of Dom, it just doesn't fit. Like I actually thought like Michelle Rodriguez, I thought was really great. I love most of the family. I am a big fan of Han. So like Han being full in nine was uh, incredible. Um, and then John Cena, who has not been great in action movies, but has been great in comedies. I think is, is used. He's still kind of boring. He is a blank slate in that movie, but that's what they wrote the character to kind of be. But I think he's doing the job. And it's just like, um, man, I would love to see. I wish it would. It, it's too late to switch Dom, but man, could you imagine like Channing Tatum at the front of that franchise? Like how much more entertaining that franchise would be? Because he'd be a little silly. Like I think you want Dom to be serious, but like he sh- when he smiles, you should believe he's happy. When Vin Diesel smiles, it's almost scary. Like it is like oh. Uh, what's his what's Arnold going on behind that in terminator 2 isn't it <laughs> it's like that full, yeah yes or smile um john cena's his brother isn't in, in these films isn't he if i'm if i remember uh, correctly yeah in fast nine uh, i would have preferred is, him uh, in the lead big. role as well just be, even again yeah acting chops maybe not comedic though he's you know he can play the tough guy and he can pull off that kind of the, the light-hearted side of it as well was you know being a believable big dude so it is what it is in terms of Vin. He's going to ride off into the sunset with this, but I just think, you know, the control is, is, is you know, it's getting to the point now where it's getting far too silly for me. Yeah. So that's, that's our headlines, folks. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this topic. So hit us up on the socials. We'll, we'll drop those at the end of the episode. For now, let's move to media consumption. These are movies, TV shows, video games, music, podcasts, etc. that we use to pass the time uh, since the last time we recorded. So, Matt, I'm curious, what have you been uh, li- watching or listening to, etc.? Uh, this week I have been, it's been a, has it been a kind of a horror-fueled weekend, but it hasn't really. Uh, I've been listening to the Nightmare on F- Film Street. I had to get this right. And I'm on Film Street uh, Patreon shows for, they're going through the all th- nine nightmare on elm street films including a new nightmare freddy versus jason and the the remake the uh, 2010 remake um in one sitting so it's watch watch film record episode watch next film so it's like a 30 hour marathon never sleep again no sleep very exciting very interesting very fun plus i think the i've always said i think the nightmare franchise is the is the best in horror. It's such a great debate to have with people because there'll always be somebody who says, well, I prefer Friday. I prefer Halloween. I just think A Nightmare on Elm Street feels a little bit more cohesive than the others. It has a kind of through line where each film film kind of piggybacks off the last one. It doesn't really go too much in their own direction apart from the second one. Uh, But in, in in these Patreon shows so far, they've covered the first one, which is a classic in the genre. And... 
as I mentioned, the second one, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, which I actually watched in anticipation. I've seen this many times before. It's the, you know, the infamous, uh, in the infamously homoerotic horror, which the studio and director and everyone at the time tried to bury the fact that it wasn't. When in fact, this is, you know, now, uh, Mark, um, what's his name? Mark Patton, the star. I said, you know, this is the gayest horror film of all time. You know, there's no, there's no jokes there. That is what he said, and that's and he is and he is a gay man at the time, though he he mm. couldn't come out and say that because you know, eighties. But to be fair, twenty twenty two is much better. Um, but yeah, Freddy's Revenge is always kind of seen as a black sheep of the franchise because it was it felt so different. It almost felt it so does. bright in comparison, but. I went back to watch it, and every time I watch it, I enjoy it a little bit more. There are some fantastic moments in it. So, same with all the films, even the ones which are admittedly a bit crap. They've all got one or two standout moments because those films really pushed yeah. the boundaries for practical effects, and uh, they really had some very imaginative moments in it, even the, as it started to get stale. But Freddy's Revenge had some fantastic was one scene in particular with Freddy coming out of the body of someone, which is... Like unbelievably well done. Yeah. It's all done on camera. It's stunning. Um, but that fight film's fine, but it gives me a chance to go back now and watch those films again. I like Freddy Krueger. Um, I've always liked those films, and I don't know why I always enjoy revisiting those films. So it's nice to go back and watch them whilst also preparing to listen to a, a show, kind of like how you do with the blank check. Um, in anticipation of our Astrology 1966 episode, I revisited Sergio Leone's, Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly um for that episode and i also watched hotel paradiso partly because sir alec guinness is in it and we're in the month of obi-wan kenobi now so now i'm just swatting up on my alec guinness so when ewan mcgregor rides into town uh at the end of the month as kenobi and i lose my mind i can know i can say oh maybe, maybe he watched hotel paradiso for that moment um and on obi-wan kenobi i picked up the latest edition of total film over here in the UK. I know you can get it internationally, but it's very expensive, which is uh, a Star Wars exclusive. It's, yeah, it's got it's got a big old feature on Obi-Wan of Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Deborah Chow, the director, uh, and other cast members, you know, how they made it, what was it like coming back, and future uh future prospects for these for this character uh, behind the scenes pictures, behind the scenes facts. It's some wonderful art as well. Really really awesome. Uh, bloody awesome in fact feature and i mentioned on my sessions patreon show how whenever there's a special magazine out i always buy it i used to be subscribed to total film for every month to get you know the new new film goss and what's coming out but uh, i i just realized i haven't actually received one for about nine months so i assume it just <laughs> stopped being subscribed but um i always pick up a physical copy for uh, a big event to me anyway like I, I picked up all the sequel trilogy empires or total films because of the covers and the stories inside same for kenobi same for ghostbusters afterlife and films way before that as well there's something about picking up that physical copy especially with things like entertainment weekly going fully digital now uh, you never know when you're gonna you're gonna ne- never gonna have one of these again so i always pick up those physical copies but it's a great magazine anyway uh, and lastly uh, i've gone from watching a really good film this week really good comedy to one of the worst films i've seen this year possibly the worst in ah. netflix's the bubble uh, which also stars Pedro Pascal. Um, I I, oh. I I didn't I didn't really know what to expect for this film and um, Judd Apatow I, I, as well. Yeah, it's a, exactly. Which for me is I don't know. Judd Apatow is fine. I think I, I like most of some of his yeah. films. I don't like all of his films, but um, 
I really wanted to like this film because of like who's in it. I mean, it's got a so it's got a stacked cast, like the named cast. You know, Pedro Pascal, Karen Gillan, Maria Bakalova from Borat Two, you know, uh, Leslie Mann, and it's got some fabulous uh, a ton, a ton of huge A list cameos in as well, which are probably the, the most fun part of the film because some of them are kind of mo- are like really odd, like come out of nowhere, like against the type you'd expect, but. The film itself is just awful. And, and, dude, it's over two hours long. It has no right to be that long. And that yeah. does go against it. I, I have no issue. We, we must sound like a bunch of old men. Like the dudes from the Muppets. Uh, not the Muppets. Yeah, the Muppets. Um, was it Stanton and whatever the names are? Um, we're always talking about the length of films. But I will watch a four-hour film if it's a good film. But you are partway through the bubble. I remember thinking, God damn it, I've got an hour and an hour and a half left of this. Why? Where are we going with this? So, you know, if you're going to make a long film, at least make it good. Um, so, I, uh, that's what I've been watching um, this week. Again, fairly fairly low output, but I'm waiting for. Well, actually, no. After last week, I was waiting for the summer blockbusters to drop. But like we said with Big Tuna, feels like a fairly light summer. Big films, but we're not getting a huge glut of them. But next week, my friend, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm seeing it three days early because I'm a king and I cannot, cannot, cannot wait, my friend. So hopefully this time next week or whenever it is, we're going to talk about it in full. Hopefully I can join the Burke and the Bowman train and just say how damn good this film was. But until then, that's what I've been watching. JB, what have you been checking out this week? I've been pretty busy, but as per usual. Uh, busy with movies, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. I listened to Blank Check. Uh, a Simple Plan was the movie from Sam Raimi this week. That was the episode. And Kevin Smith uh, was the guest, which I was surprised. I knew he was going to be on a Sam Raimi episode. I assumed it would be one of the Spider-Man movies because Kevin and comic books are yeah. you know, so attached. Turned out it was Simple Plan, his most not com- most un-Sam Raimi-like <laughs> film. In fact, it's very much a Coen Brothers movie in a lot of ways as far as like the vibe and the crime element and stuff that goes into it. Um, I, I liked the movie a lot. It was a good episode of the podcast. Uh, then uh, also they started their new uh, commentary series. They're doing all the Batman movies that they haven't done on the main feed. So, cause they did all of Nolan's nice. films and they did Michael, uh, they did Tim Burton's films. So we've seen uh, on the main feed, we've had uh, those, but they started with the 1966 Batman commentary, which dropped Sunday. I just listened to it today huh. and man, it's so fun to hear them talk about that movie because it is <laughs> a movie that I, I think is, is it, good not in the traditional sense but is it amazing for what they were going for i think people have such an opinion of what batman is but i grew up with the adam west batman and i have always yes. really enjoyed it so it's fun listening I'm- to them also love it even though the movie has its share of problems it does it overstays this welcome by probably like 10 minutes but nice 1966 um, tie-in though so well done blank it is guys. yeah um i thought that was a, a weird coincidence actually uh so then <laughs> uh movies that i've been watching um, I caught the virus 32. I didn't catch it, but I saw it. Um, weird choice <laughs> yeah. of words. Poor choice uh, of on, words there. on shutter. Um, it is a shutter original, it? I believe. Um, it's quite good. Um, I have a few <laughs> issues with it. And there is a scene that I need you or, or big tuna to watch because there's a scene where the score is definitely from another movie. And I can't remember what movie it is. And it's driving me insane. And I need someone to help me figure out what it is. Cause how long uh, is the, the film? Music- this is a it's not long. I think it's, I think it's 90 minutes. I might uh, watch it sure. after recording this in. If you do, there's a scene where it's clearly like the, there's this moment. The music is like 
can can you rise up? Can you fight what's happening against you? And it's very like, you know, uh, empowering music. But I'm like, this is from something. And I cannot place <laughs> it. And it's driving me insane. It might be Saw. It just clicked. It could be the way Saw does okay. that. At the, you know, like when it gets like real towards the end of the Saw films. And like, you're like, oh, I get what's happening. And it's uh, now I'm not sure. I think I might have stumbled on it on accident. But I, I like the movie. It's a zombie film, kind of. It's more in line with like 28 Days type zombies than it is like with nice. the Romero zombies. But it's it's compelling. Check it out. Um, I do. I'd love to talk to you about that movie though, because also like the the name of the film. I'm curious of like once you figure out why it's called that, I'd like to talk about that. Um, oh. Because we watched okay. this Nicolas Cage movie, I decided I needed to check a huge one off of my never seen list, which was adaptation. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan. And I don't know what took me so long to get to this movie. Um, it's great. Uh, I really love this film. Nick Cage is Nick Cage is so good in adaptation. Like it is, he's playing two characters, which I didn't realize. I knew he was like playing Charlie Kaufman, and I knew there were like scenes where he was on screen multiple times, but I didn't understand the context of that until I started watching the movie. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, oh my god, dude! The movie is so good. Um, I'm <laughs> such a Coffin fan, and it's so it's so crazy. I took so long to get this. I, I haven't seen, I think maybe one more Coffin written film. I've seen mm-hmm. most of his other stuff. Uh, maybe there's two I haven't seen. I think there's a comedy that he did that didn't do well, or it's not critically acclaimed that I haven't seen. But um, some nice tie-ins of this film as well. With one, it, it, it really is. Yeah, the meta the meta commentary in adaptation is very much in line with this, um, and even the fact that Kaufman wrote it about himself writing the adaptation of the book that the movie's about. Like the the meta elements are ridiculous. Uh, much smarter movie than Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, but does I still think Unbearable yeah, yeah. Weight is great. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, have you heard of Nitram or Nitram? I'm not actually sure how to say it. Uh, um, it's a no, I haven't. It sounds interesting. <laughs> so it's a it's a super controversial film. It, it debuted at Cannes, um, and uh, I think it's 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 on. Um, oh, what network is it on? Is it AMC Plus? I think it's AMC Plus that it's on. Uh, which I I happen to have gotten this a year subscription to it. Uh, it was on sale like Black Friday time, and um, and also AMC Plus here in the states includes uh, Shutter, IFC, and Sundance. I think all included with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, the new Caleb Landry Jones movie. It's about, nice. I didn't know anything about it. So I don't know, like, I don't know how much I should even say, but it is about one of the, the most horrendous mass shootings in Australia, uh, in the middle, in the mid nineties that I somehow didn't know specifics about. Like I, I was aware that something traumatic had happened in Australia in the, in the nineties, but I didn't know what, um, it is a intense movie and there's a lot of debate around the movie um i don't know enough about it to like bring it up but it's 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 a really it's a crazy good film i don't know that i could ever watch it again kind of thing but it's done um it's uh justin kershaw who did um the true history of the kelly gang and oh, uh the, yes me too and the michael fassbender Macbeth, which i've not seen and then um he did assassin's creed which isn't isn't saying a lot there i don't you know no. but I, I liked his other thing so i think that was him trying to do a studio film and was probably like hamstring by the studio um but nitram uh it, it's intense but worth checking out no oh, i'll check that out if i can get my hands on it then 
Now, uh, Crush is a new film on Netflix, um, and I, I wasn't one that I was I was was not on my radar. But my wife uh, was like, "Hey, I'm going to watch this movie, Crush. Do you want to watch it with me?" I was like, "All right, yeah, sure." She doesn't always like want to watch movies, and uh, you know, so like when she's like, "Hey, I would like to watch this," I'm like, "All right, cool, let's do it." Um, so I watched Crush, uh, Netflix original. That's not always a good sign, right? And this is like a teen romance, which is also not always a good sign. We've we've suffered through two of the three Kissing Booth movies. Um, yeah. It's a first-time director, too, Sammy Cohen. Um, and we have some, I think, mostly first-time leads. I, I guess not a first time. I, I was not familiar with the lead in this. Her name is Rowan uh, Blanchard. Um, name rings she's a very bell. good. Uh, she's in... Um, she's in A Wrinkle in Time, but she's not the lead in A Wrinkle in Time, so I don't know what she did in huh. that, because... Um, but she's in one of the Spy Kids movies. Rowan Blanchard. I'm furiously Googling now because I really recognise that name from something. Uh, hey, obviously I've just heard the name from somewhere. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was A Wrinkle in Time because I, I recognise that name. But no, I think you're right. I'm going to butcher this name and I am so sorry. But I think it's Alil, Alil Cravajo. Is, uh, she's the voice of Moana. And oh, I yeah, love yeah. Moana. Moana is one of my favourite Disney movies. Um, she's in this, and so uh, and everyone else is mostly people I've not seen before, except the mother is Megan Mullally, who is uh, Will and Grace, and then she's Nick Offerman's real life wife, but she's also uh, Tammy number two in the Parks and Rec series. Whenever Tammy shows up, big fan of her. Usually, she's really great in this. And then um, I'm not going to get his name right. I'm trying the uh, the coach is a um, oh uh, Asaph Mandit Man. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. I'm so sorry. Mandivy. Um, he's, he was on, uh, he's on the, Oh my God. I can't think of the show on comedy central with, uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, the daily show. (laughs) That's a, yeah. Like he was, he was a regular on the daily show for a long time. He's in tons of movies. He's always a really good comedic part in the background. Uh, he's good in this too. Like their, their dynamics actually quite funny. I found this movie really charming. I liked it a lot. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's on Hulu. It's not Netflix. I apologize. Uh, my wife picked it again, so I wasn't actually involved in how <laughs> we found it. But it's a Hulu original, so that speaks volumes. It's I, I'm actually a bigger fan of Hulu than Netflix at this point. Um, but I, this was a surprise because I kind of went in. I just agreed to watch it because my wife was like, hey, watch this with me. Then I had a blast watching it. I thought it was really fun. I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything, but I think it's a, a really solid uh, teen rom-com. Um there's some really funny parts or some really good performances. Uh, it does, you know, there's anytime you're doing these type of movies, you, you kind of see the drama coming, but I think it handles the drama in a pretty fun way. Um, it, it kind of even has like some throwback, like eighties, nineties vibes in the climax where like things are bigger than they should be, but it's a movie. So it should be big. You know, like you expect something, uh, dramatic kind of fun moment at the end to like win the couple back together kind of, of thing. Course. So I think it's worth watching. Um, so I've been doing animation with my film one classes and uh, I, I have long ago saw scanner darkly, the Richard Linklater film with uh, Keanu Reeves. And yep. I think Wynonna Ryder. Um, and I found out while doing research for my animation study that he had another film called waking life that actually came out before scanner darkly. That was also rotoscoped. Um, and listener, if you're not familiar with the term rotoscoping, mm-hmm. it is filming the movie and then drawing over the panels. This is the yep. process they used to make the lightsabers in the original Star Wars. Um, but here, they're d- animating over the entirety of the film. And th- it's been done by other people. But Linklater has done this twice, I found. And so I finally watched Waking Life. Waking Life is much more ambitious with the animation style because he's really yeah. playing 
with the 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 world like it's not just drawing the people like the world is is surreal uh many times and there's a lot of that um built into it and things happen that you definitely uh aren't sure if it's real or not uh because it's toying with the idea of dreams and lucid dreams specifically uh and we know we know who else is back in this film as well jesse and celine from the before trilogy yes there's a really cool uh animated version of them yeah. they're not i don't think they're playing the characters from that but they are a hundred percent it's them i'm like oh my god um yeah it's it kind of be- a version of them it's just they, they're the same names same same people but i think it's it is a fun it's got the same fun it's a it's a slightly different take on it's a fun nod to it though too like i was of super course, stoked yeah. to see it um but then matt i don't know if you know this i i had no clue but richard linklater had a movie come out this year go on on netflix that's rotoscoped called apollo 10 and a half a space no. age childhood I had generally had no idea. No clue, right? Like this this movie, I don't even know when it came out. It's come out in the last couple of months. Netflix, this is why you're dying because you don't promote your content. You have a no Richard idea. Linklater film drop and I knew nothing. And I used to be kind of like Linklater's overrated. I have I have a hundred percent turnaround. I am a huge Richard I'm Linklater fan. Really like, like Zach Levy. Zach Zachary Levy. Levi, sorry. Yeah. Jack Black, dude, dude. Jack Black is the like. There's a Wonder Years type narration to this, where like we are watching the kid's life, but the adult version is like telling us the story, and it's Jack Black, and he's terrific in this. The rotoscope is this one is grounded a little more, but the animation looks fantastic. I really love the way this movie looks. It's a really interesting story. I don't know if I fully grasped everything, but that's kind of often with me and link later where I'm like, <laughs> I must tackle this a little more to really get what you're going for here. But I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's on Netflix. It's only 90 minutes, dude. People need to know it's out there. Like Come that. on, Netflix, promote your content. Um, and then last, uh, I won't say too much cause we're going to be talking about this next week, but I saw Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Um, I am off embargo, so I can say some things. Um, it's the new Sam Raimi film. This is a Sam Raimi movie which we have not seen an auteur filmmaker, or at least a filmmaker who has a very distinctive voice and style get to do that inside the MCU. Even with Chloe Zhao and Eternals, I don't think you really, it's, it's more of a Chloe Zhao film, but it's not fully a Chloe Zhao film. This feels very much like a Sam Raimi film. And in 2022, I'm not sure if that's a great thing or not, (laughs) but I, I want it. I was so excited for this to be like the next Marvel movie that makes me, you know, pump for the next Marvel movie that get, gets the juices going. And if anything, it was pumping the brakes a little bit. Like, oh, maybe man. it's time we slow down Marvel. Um, so I don't know, man. Um, I'm curious to see how other people respond. Uh, this is a big movie because for if you listen to our last episode, folks, we played the summer movie wager, and. This was Matt and my number two movie of the summer, predicting that it's going to have that kind of box office. Uh, but it's Big Tuna's number one. and By a long if, shot as well, by the sounds of it. If casual fans don't love this movie, um, like like critics, that my the critics at my screening mostly were not in on this movie. Not all of them hated it. Few of them loved it. Um, many, many were lukewarm, and I am one of those. Um so, and I, I, again, mostly a Sam Raimi fan. I, I don't think I like his take on comic books. Um, I think that's where I'm having the most issue with the film. And, um, 
Raimi has n- historically been kind of mixing of tones or blending of tones in his movies. I don't know if he gets comic book tones. And I think it's most mm-hmm. prevalent in Spider-Man 3, and I think it might be prevalent here. So that's all I'll say. I'll save the rest to talk about it next week. Very interested to hear that. I know there are others out there who have uh, yeah, similar views. So I've, I haven't seen... I don't dive into reviews pre-seeing a film, but obviously you see social media reaction. I've seen a lot of people really digging the film. I've seen a lot saying it's... Eh, and I've seen a few saying, this is just bad. Uh, someone fairly close to the show, not you, my friend. But um, uh, at the same time, I've seen a lot of fans who haven't seen the film saying, what do you guys know? You don't know what you're talking about. Hey, look, maybe the film isn't that great. I hope it is. I hope it is because the trailers have been really good. The trailers have been fantastic. Yeah. Everything I've heard about it, pre-reactions, sounds like a lot of fun. And I don't mind Raimi's films. I, I like those Spider-Man films, but I'm also aware that you know they, they fit that time period like, fabulously. You know, they, they they feel of their era and you know sometimes the throwback isn't always the best whether it's intentional or not but I, I, I can't say that um this has dampened my enthusiasm you know what I feel for Marvel films I enjoy them I've never got to see this before anything else but I'm excited for it of course I am this hasn't dampened it but it has made me a lot more intrigued now as to what we are uh, what we're going to get yeah, and I am. That's the thing. I have been the Marvel fanboy, especially on this mm-hmm. podcast. I am the, often the one who's overselling it and overexcited about it. And I, I think that's maybe even more telling about this movie. Like, I've seen all the Marvel series. Um, I, I have actively seen all of the films. Um, and I've been pretty positive on all of them. And I'm not, man. And I... Uh, that's that to me is the most alarming thing like internally like i'm just like wow why don't i love this movie like i've loved most of the marvel films there's few even the bad ones i tend to be more up on than other people like there's a part of me that doesn't mind the incredible hulk movie like i i see why it's not great it is on the bottom of my list but i also didn't like when i watched it the first time i wasn't mad about it i was like this is this is not the the best but it's a comic book movie and I'm cool with that. You know that I am in general, a supporter of the comic book movies. So it's not great that I'm not thrilled. Granted. I also have clearly don't like his Spider-Man movies that much compared (laughs) to other people, but I like it when they take a chance. And I know it sounds like the obvious thing. My last point on that, the obvious thing is, Oh, Marvel films are all the same. No, they're not. I mean, there is a tried and tested way of them making the films. And it's, there's a reason why those films are, the popular films of the last 15 years or so, but I like it when they try something different. I didn't like Eternals very much, but I love the fact that they tried something. They went ambitious. They got Chloe Zhao in. I feel like they kind of diluted her somewhat. Uh, the things like Moon Knight. I'm enjoying Moon Knight because to me, it feels t- like very un- disconnected from the MCU whilst you know, still having those little parts that feel similar. But it, it, when they sort of branch away from the main story and are able to tell, you know, follow the vision of the director. I think that can be exciting, but it isn't always going to work. Yeah. I.e., the Eternals, or sorry, Eternals, which I have this ranked lower than Eternals on my Marvel Man. ranking list. So, um, okay, okay, but yeah, um, that's that's our media consumption, folks. Let's now t- take a step back for just a second, and we need to make sure that we are doing what we can to stay bloody awesome. Matt, how have you been saying bloody awesome since the last time we recorded? 
uh, well, by funneling $10 million into an offshore account so I could hang out of John Book and his massive talent. Um, uh, yes. I have been, I've been, I've been writing, my friend. People may not have seen it on my socials, but I have been actively doing some writing for the site and posting it on RT and, and getting back into the swing of things. I'm getting the, the groove back again. It's one of those things, John and I talk about it every now and then where, you know, we love talking film we love writing about film we love watching films but sometimes you know the allure of watching and maybe talking about the films is greater than pouring that out into the written text and sometimes i do find being able to bounce ideas off jb and hear his takes and whether they you know how they merge with mine or maybe go against or maybe can even kind of change what i was thinking i quite i i really like that however you know the, the the skeleton of what we've always done has been writing about films and i've been getting back into doing that sort of catching up with some of the films that i've seen over the last few months writing about those and get them out just to kind of get back in, into the swing of it because we've got some big films coming out in the next few months in terms of blockbusters and for me everything everywhere next week is a big film because of everything i've heard from yourself and now big tune as well. And also the fact that it's actually doing really quite well at the box office, which is horribly encouraging. It's so good to hear. Um, so I kind of wanted to also get, get writing, you know, get, I'd like to say get the old quill and ink out, but you know, get the laptop out, start writing and, and I get back into doing that a bit more because that's what my site was all, or my movie crit- criticism, uh, part of my life was built on it wasn't built on talking it's built on writing and I, I never kind of i never want to lose sight of that i would never be i don't think i'd ever be as prolific as writing as i was two three years ago when i was literally around everything but just getting that love back for writing man it's it's, it's, it's a skill and yeah. um, i like to think that i'm ever improving and one day i'll get to that point where i want to be or 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 where we all want to kind of reach that perfection but man i i, I enjoyed doing it and I, I i kind of i blasted a few out the other the other day and i thought that felt so satisfying you know, it's out there now, it's published, it's in the world, my views are out there. Whether anybody puts any stock in them, sometimes I don't care. You know, it makes me feel good, it's satisfying, they're out there. So enjoying getting the writing back again, my friend. Plus, obviously, you and I spoke about writing for other projects as well, so it's kind of getting those creative juices flowing again, my friend. But for me, simply just writing again, my friend, about the thing we love, film. But what about you, my friend? How have you been staying bloody awesome? Well, I... um went to i live in florida as most listeners will probably know at this point and it's a shame because we live so close to the theme parks but they're so expensive we don't often get to go um i had an opportunity uh where my wife my daughter and my daughter's boyfriend and i were able to go to universal studios this weekend nice um specifically on sunday and uh it, my my daughter's about to graduate so this was like a family kind of like senior celebration and um you know, I love movies, and so Universal Studios is my favorite theme park. Obviously, Disney has a lot of movie influence as well, but Universal's movies are more like movies that I still love versus like yeah. a lot of the Disney stuff is geared towards a younger audience. Universal, you know, there's The Mummy, and then there's – well, I, I really – I long for the days where the Simpsons area was Back to the Future. Um, I still <laughs> – we walked into the park, and I immediately ran into Doc Brown. You know, and my yes. wife was like, you go take a picture with Doc Brown. I'm like, of course. <laughs> and t- the it. Doc Brown, proving his Back to the Future fandom, looked at my bald head and goes, do you call people slackers? And I'm like, I, in fact, <laughs> do. And I teach. I am a teacher. And I call my students slackers all the time. Um, so as a Back to the Future, and I literally taught Back to the Future at the beginning of this year. So, like, it's it's full circle <laughs> of a year. Um, you know, uh, we walked, we went through the park. We got a butterbeer. 
I got to ride the Hogwarts Express for the first time because I had a, we had a park hopper pass. Um, and I found out on the Hogwarts Express that if you take it from London, which is where we were, because uh, that's in the old park, to uh, from that's Diagon Alley. If you take it from London to Hogwarts um, and, and Hogsmeade, uh, you get a different experience than when you take it from Hogwarts back, which we didn't get to do the back. So I don't know what that experience is like, but we got to do the there and the there one is real cool. Um, the Dementor show up. And uh, so that was really fun. And, you know, we were, I'm not a big ride person. So my wife and I basically just walked around, looked at the shop. We rode some of the more simple, like chill rides, like E.T., Cat in the Hat. Um, those kind of rides where they're just like the screens and you're not, there's no danger. We don't do the roller coasters. That's not us, but my daughter and her boyfriend were able to walk around. They're both, you know, 18, 19 now. So like they're walking around doing their thing for a minute, uh, riding some rides. And, um, you know, we had, we had a really good day. It was, uh, I'm super grateful for the person who uh, provided us the opportunity in order to do that. I'm not name dropping them because I don't want people to, to try to hit them up for the same opportunity, but uh, mm-hmm. it was offered to us and I could not be more grateful. It was, it was a great experience. I don't always love crowds, especially right now. Um, you know, crowds are still kind of scary. Uh, it wasn't too busy. It was, it was still busy. It's, it's a theme park. It's always going to be a little busy, but um, I had a great time. I did also uh, partway through the day. My wife's like, you should probably get a hat. We, we did bring sunscreen, but still like, she's just like, just protect your bald head. I'm like, good call. <laughs> I, I haven't had a hat in a while. So I found this all black universal hat. It just says it's got the universal logo in black embroidered on a black nice. hat, which I love the black on black look anyways. And then it's universal. Um, I, I love repping movie studios. Uh, be, even though I think studios are part of the problem, they make things that I love and that I, I have loved my whole life. So I, I like having that kind of merch. Like I, I have a Paramount shirt. I have a 24 shirt. I have a Warner brother shirt. I have a MGM studio shirt. Now I have a universal hat. So I, I was happy to pick that up. Um, and also I really like the hat a lot. Anyways, like even if it was universal, the hat's just real comfortable. So I'm, I'm very happy with that purchase. Um, it was a good day. It was a good, good weekend, great family outing. Um, we were lucky enough because a lot of times those family outings like that can turn into like family fights as well. <laughs> yes. uh, and we managed to not, not run into that. Um, and that, that was exciting because, you know, like stress of a vacation. And I am, again, I don't like going to big crowded theme parks often, but if I have time to prepare like mentally that I, like it's not sprung on me, I'm usually okay. And I, this was one of those times where I had s- several days and I was actually like looking forward to going and then had a blast. So um, no, that was uh, that was how I stayed bloody awesome. It's a bloody awesome way to stay bloody awesome. We both have that same Paramount shirt. I think the actual Paramount logo is different, or maybe mm. yours is. A, I think yours is I a black you, shirt. Mine I have a white. blue shirt. Yours is That's white. I think yours is white with a blue logo, and I have a blue shirt with a white logo. That's um, right. Inverse, we're yeah. opposites, and folks. Yeah, <laughs> we are bloody. This is this is why the band works so well. Um, and I, I saw some pictures pictures from JB's um, excursions and. I'm sitting here green with envy, thinking, "Man, that looks mm-hmm. so good." Um, one it's day, funny I you use the word "green" because my my wife oh. met the Grinch. There, there we go. There was a, there was a time I was waiting for you to say your wife <laughs> felt green after coming off one of the rides or something, which that would have been me. But um, no, no, it looked fantastic. The the pictures, everyone looked like they had a good time. The weather looks spot on. And one day, John, I'm going to give you plenty of warning. I know I say this, and listeners will say, "Ah, I the plan." I'll kind of come over there one day, man. And we'll hit something like that one day. You give you plenty of warning, though. I mean, I hope travel uh, eventually gets cheap enough where that can happen. I also would love to come visit you because I've never been to London and I would very much like to visit London. Have some fish um, and chips. Dude, all day, like all day. I mean, <laughs> I 
love fish and chips. We do have we have a, a very nice uh, uh, British food uh, place over here called Detroit. Proper Pie. I've only got to go twice because then COVID happened and like I wasn't able to get to it. But um, you sent me a picture, I, and I remember thinking, "Yeah, that looks that looks like the real deal." I need I need to go back um, for sure. Uh, so, folks, we'll be back next week with uh, our conversation about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, and of course, if you're uh, if you like the spoiler episodes, we'll have a spoiler episode of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent coming out uh, on Monday and. A week after the Doctor Strange episode drops, we'll have a, a spoiler episode of that, too. So be ready. Um, if you want to know all of our thoughts and why I didn't love the movie, uh, get ready for next week's episode, because I will talk at length, I'm, I'm sure. I will probably have seen it like- a second time by then, too. So maybe I'll maybe I'll like it more. Maybe I'll like it less. Who knows? Um, in the meantime, though, we'd love for you to follow, follow us on the social medias. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. And Matt, where are we on Twitter? Uh, we are nowhere near Elon Musk, thankfully, but we are at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And you can, of course, find us on Facebook if you want. Just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, individually, you can find me at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms, including Instagram, where you can see my Universal trip. Um, mm-hmm. Matt, where can they follow you? Uh, what I watch tonight.co.uk and what I watch tonight across all the socials, including Letterboxd. And um, if you like what we're doing here at the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, we ask that you take just a minute and rate and review us on whatever podcast catcher you use to listen. Um, And with that, we say keep watching movies. And stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 blood,